now comes the capture of the beast. There are few things I love as much as apocalyptic art, be it the outsider paintings of Howard Finster, Stephen King's epic novel The Stand, the visual art of French printmaker and illustrator Gustave Doré, or films like Planet of the Apes, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Blade Runner, or even the super fun Stranger Things, which I have really enjoyed watching with my youngest son, artists who work to reveal, to pull back veils, or to imagine things or people as they really are or may someday be, or dimensions that we cannot see but may be influencing us, have long spoken to me. But, big surprise, when songwriters and musicians dig into the genre, I get really excited. Whether I always agree with the conclusions they come to or not, it is somehow comforting to hear others write and sing about the dents and shadows that so many try to mask over, because that damage has been all too real to me since I was a little kid, and something tells me we don't get to the healing part until we recognize our need. See, cinnamon, mountains are falling. Cinnamon, the sea, it rages. And cinnamon, the grave will not hold you. All on that day, run to the Lord, Lord, please hide me. Run to the Lord. Cinnamon, cinnamon, cinnamon. One of my favorite modern apocalyptic musicians has long been Colorado's David Eugene Edwards. Although it's hard to really think of him as modern, as it often seems he might be stepping out of a daguerreotype copper print from 1850 to haunt a stage with his singular style of music, Edwards' gothic Americana band 16 Horsepower, aptly named after a lawnmower, yes, a type of reaper, ignited in the mid-90s with a unique blend of folk, Appalachian, dark Celtic, and even punk and doom metal influences. Edward's firebrand Nazarene background leapt through the speakers and from the stage in vivid context. You was a pretty, yes, I love that sound. My heart like a hammer does bound. My breath in leaves me to speak it. My legs say tremble to the ground. Take my hand and you will say, Go on in the way back. Take my hand and you will bleed. Go on the top to sway back. In the early 2000s, as that band broke down, Edwards transitioned to the more stripped-down, but at times even darker project, Woven Hand. Under that moniker, and with the assistance of an array of other musicians, he has released more than a dozen albums, singles, and EPs over the last 20 years. Edwards and his Woven Hand compatriots recently released a new album entitled Silver Sash that is simply stunning. In the midst of the song, Silver Sash Below the level sea so long Teach me what to say 
of this pissing race With your kiss, quicken me, kick on me Just like this You as your garment Cling to me I am broken, open, incarnate Lapis lazuli I was thrilled to get to sit down with David Eugene Edwards in front of a live audience at the Audio Feed Festival on July 1st, 2022 in Champaign, Illinois. Interviews with Edwards are rare, so I do not take this privilege for granted, and I was honored by his honesty and candor, despite the fact that he clearly does not like to do interviews. A bit later in the show, we'll crank up the jukebox and listen to some of my other favorite Revelation records. It all happens right after we take care of a little bit of housekeeping. My name's Rob, and I'm one of the Patreon backers of the True Tunes podcast. I'm honored to invite you to join me in support of True Tunes by signing up on their email list. I know email is often annoying, but by being on the list, I get notified when new episodes drop and when new articles get posted at truetunes.com. Sometimes, John even sends out short notes and gives away records and swag and stuff. Super cool. But really, the point is that by staying directly connected, I know that they don't have to pay Facebook or anyone else in order for me to hear from them, and that's important. They don't send out too many emails either, and I'm always happy to get them. So really, it would be helpful if you'd join me over here. You can find the sign-up link on the front page at truetunes.com. Oh, and don't forget to add John's email address, jjt at truetunes.com, to your contacts so that the emails don't get caught in your spam filter. And if you have any feedback on the show or questions, you can email him and he'll get back to you eventually. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Bill Keith, and I'm a Patreon backer of True Tunes. The show is really important to me, and I know that the money I contribute each month goes a long way toward helping with the costs associated with producing and distributing a show of this caliber. And yes, the rewards are cool too. We get early access to new episodes that we can download in a higher quality audio format, as well as invites to exclusive backers-only Zoom hangs and some special swag and stuff. There are multiple levels you can join at, and every gift helps. Check out patreon.com slash truetunes for more information on how to join me and the rest of the Patreon tribe. And thanks for considering a gift. It really will make a difference. Welcome back to the True Tunes podcast. I've been hoping to talk with David Eugene Edwards for years. I mentioned the idea to him when he first played the gallery stage at a solo Woven Hands set at Cornerstone long ago. A few years back, the full band version of Woven Hand just about blew the exit in here in Nashville to the ground. We talked about it there as well. Nothing ever seemed to come of it, though. Listen closely to me now, my darling girl. This one who's out to have you and just his breath will burn your curls. Don't you fret. You needn't bother, don't you fret, no, here come the father, yeah. 
When I heard that he would be playing at AudioFeed the same day that I would be speaking there, I reached out to his label and management company with my earnest appeal. Might he be willing to sit with me for a conversation in front of a live audience a few hours before his set? To my surprise and delight, he agreed. I could tell right away, though, once we got there, that he was somewhat uncomfortable with the whole thing. He hung in there, though, engaging me with thoughtful, deliberate commentary. I could tell he took the question seriously, and I tell you what, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. Lord, to clear my head. For once again, I scar the soul of that girl in my bed. Oh, Lord, clear my bed. Before once again, I scar the soul of that girl in my head. The audience was dead silent. Some later told me they felt it was tense. Others found the whole thing mesmerizing. I wish we'd had more time. The guy is a deep, fascinating well, a provocateur, a mystic. So, with no further ado, let's head into a dark indoor stage at the Champaign County Fairgrounds to hear from the man himself. Tell me about when you first started making music, 16 horsepower, it sounded so fully realized. It had such a ethic and a concept to it. Tell me about the, the roots of that and the formulation of, of all of what went into that at the very beginning. Um, I had just gotten into folk music, basically, you know? I mean, I mean I've always had that around me, but I wasn't really interested when I was a kid, right? So I went from ACDC to Joy Division to playing the banjo, you know? So <laughs> I'm like, uh, wow. yeah, I was just being inspired by, you know, a lot of different um, world music. That's not a really good term, but just traditional music, you know, from all over the world. And just expressed that through my, I guess, family history and the music. You know, I had relatives that were musicians in the past and whatnot. So I just kind of took up this way of doing things and there was nobody really doing it at the time and so everybody just was like we don't get it we don't understand right, what you're trying right. to do but yeah i just did it anyway and um 16 horsepower you know we we got some attention or whatever and then other bands started doing this kind of a for lack of a better term you know just country rock or something or folk rock or something i mean people have done that since the 50s 60s of course but uh the Americana thing was interesting because it didn't really kick off as a, as a hip genre thing until a couple years after 16 Horsepower. I think you guys were actually part, you guys were in that slipstream with Steve Earle and some of that stuff. Right, that kind yeah, of, yeah. But you were tapping into the gospel side of Americana without really being very f upfront about it. It was just woven into the music. 
Well, I mean, there's, you know, there's not really anything outside of the gospel folk music in a sense. I mean, that's basically all there was. Yeah. I mean, it was all religiously uh, originated in some sense in America, at least. I mean, European, you know, they have a longer tradition, traditions of, uh, of folk music with the different attitude, right, with different belief system or whatever. And so the American style, it was from the beginning always religious in some way. I grew up in the Nazarene church, so uh, that's where I, everything's swimming around in my head. It's, that's where it's coming from, you know, mm. at that point. towards the darker I like the term apocalyptic because the true meaning of the word is to reveal something that was previously hidden mm-hmm. you know you kind of gravitated towards those those tones and what I loved about it from the very beginning was that there was good news in those darker tales somehow it was mm-hmm. spun in there it wasn't just murder ballads you were finding streams of light in those dark corners in a way that I just had not heard other than maybe Johnny Cash. Like, mm. um, as an artist, as a songwriter, how are you navigating into those shadows to find that stuff? What was pulling you that way? Well, that's a good example. Johnny Cash is a great example. I mean, that's one of the only records I had when I was a kid, you know. We weren't allowed to listen to the radio or, or secular music. There was a, one Johnny Cash record and then the rest was just, you know, church music, church groups singing, you know. So I had this, I think it was the Live at Folsom Prison. Oh, man. So, I, you know. It's a good one to have. <laughs> that was like the only beacon of light that I was exposed to as a kid. And so that, um, yeah, apocalyptic murder ballads. I mean, I would say that religion in general is a murder ballad. Amen. And that... Uh, and Christianity, no different. It's a murder ballad. So I don't see such a stark difference, if you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, apocalyptic understandings, like you say, when people hear the word of apocalypse, you know, it's, you know, uh, fire and death and terror. And and there's plenty of that to go around. But um, that seems to be what drives why we were here in the first place to some degree uh, this apocalyptic vision of the end right and that we have to be here to uh, 
the apocalypse is coming, you know, the Lord's coming back tomorrow, right? Um, but of course, no one, and I mean no one, lives that way. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that was the case, no one would be building churches or seminaries or, right. you know what I mean? If, right. you know, the, you're supposed to all take this stuff seriously, but then no one does, so you're just mm-hmm. like, and that's as it should be because that's not what's happening. You know what I mean? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. people want things to end, right? People want things to come to an end and things to be different. And I, I understand this attitude, but um, the whole apocalyptic revelation, the four horsemen, you know, this, um, it's a really strange thing. It's really strange. And people get, amped up about it at certain points in their life or by certain people that they're in communication with and uh, you know whether you're a latter-day saint or a, you know it's always the end times it's always the last days you know and you're like oh well look at him it's getting really bad now you know any day now <laughs> right any day now you know and mm-hmm. of course today is the day you know and Today is the day of the apocalypse. Today is the day of uh, today is the day that Christ is revealed in everybody you see on the street. You know. listened to your new record most of the way on the the drive up from Nashville to here and it just pulled me deeper and deeper each time I went through it it was like a meditation Mm -hmm. and different songs like I didn't have a notebook I wasn't able to write stuff down Uh, even titles I wasn't able to and uh, I heard uh, some songs would have four or five different biblical references within them. You're jumping from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Sure. It's like a swirl, almost a psychedelic bombardment of imagery mm-hmm. that's just breaking me down into a point where I can say, I just, I want this apocalypse or this revelation to, to happen. Like today is the day of the Lord if my eyes could actually be healed. And you just want you reference that scales falling or the mm. eyes opening, the, mm. the healing that happens when we see. Mm. Uh, did you have a particular mission 
that you were on as you constructed this particular project or does the the path kind of emerge as the song yeah, comes? I, ne I never have an idea of what i'm doing i really don't i just do it right it, and then i mean i'm collecting specific words or a series of words or maybe an actual sentence um i just collect them right like the pieces of a puzzle and then um the music this time was more uh made by some other guys in the group that you know that it was kind of a new thing normally i come up with all this stuff and then we work it together but i just let them do it right and so i just concentrated on the words for the most part and um so yeah we get the music made and then i kind of live with it for a little while and just trying to throw these words on it and i don't really try to make sense of anything uh, i just kind of let it come out the way it comes out i'm not really concerned that it's going to tell a story or um i didn't have anything you know specific that i'm trying to communicate uh, other than just what's in my own mind you know mm -hmm. uh, however fractured it may be i mean it always ends up becoming something after the fact you know it, it kind of real it realizes itself after the fact and i don't even know what the songs are about until like a year later you yeah. know right. and even then what i think they're about is going to be completely different than someone else you know? You've got songs that you're writing, you've got the way that you're accompanying them, the, the guitar parts, the, the melodies even, but then you've got your voice and the way you're singing. Mm -hmm. And I love the way you're using your voice as an instrument. Mm -hmm. How much of that was developed, you were conscious of it, and how much of it is just kind of naturally, instinctively what's coming out when you're singing? Yeah, well, it's a very know, particular... Well, I'm not really a singer or a musician to be honest with you you know i'm just kind of a hack at both of them you know which is very folk you know i'm not really accomplished at playing and singing at the same time you know what i mean so whatever i'm playing is going to dictate how the vocals come out how mm. you know when and how when i have a pause when i'm able you know because i i'm not i'm not adept you know so i just uh it create has created my own style out of these deficits you know but um I think that some of the most compelling art is when artists are leaning into their deficits or weaknesses that, in my opinion, the, your voice and the, the timbre and the, the cadence, the way you're pronouncing words, the, the stretches, is, is, it feels like an instrument. It's almost like you're playing it like a guitar and you're affecting it dramatically like an actor would deliver lines on a stage play at times. Yes, but you know, in my mind, it's all the it's very cinematic it's like uh each song is like a little movie you know mm -hmm. and um i see it that way you know yeah. it doesn't mean other people are going to see it that way, but that's how i it you know and i don't own the song it's like the song is its own thing and then when it comes time for me to perform it or whatever i just i'm not in control of it right i'm, I'm just like 
a part of it, right? And so I just step into this, uh, something that's already waiting for me, and I let the song dictate, rather than me dictating the, where the song's gonna go. Mm-hmm. I kind of listen to the song more. And I'm affected by the sounds and the lyrical content, and because like I say, a lot of times I don't know what anything means, and I'll be on a, I'll be on stage, and all of a sudden, it something will mean something to me out of the blue, you know. And it's a strange relationship with it, right? I'm not really in control of it. Mm. You know, it's not to over spiritualize it or something like that. It's just I'm not in control of it. Your stuff has always had such a strong spiritual presence to it and focus, whether it's the specific lyrical content or the way it's delivered. And yet you've been so embraced by, you know, mainstream artists that, that are definitely not coming from any kind of uh, Christian space, at least in terms of, you know, what they're known for publicly. Why do you suppose, or have you had any insight after all these years doing it, that other artists who would like to integrate their spirituality into their work might learn something about how they might be able to do that. A lot of people have been told this idea that they have to, they have to make gospel music or Christian music in, a, in another space because the, the, the rest of the world won't wanna hear that. Uh, and so you either have to kind of shut up about that and make normal music or you make religious music and I feel like you're you're kind of uh, proving that that's not true. You're you're able to do what you do, and it seems like everybody kind of respects you for it. Yeah, I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't know why people take an interest in it at all, um, be they religious or non-religious or whatever. It's just happened, right? I I, I don't understand why, but um, it would feel like some sort of arrogance, or to even come up with the reason. You know, I I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, to say that, oh, maybe they think it, it's got some sort of authenticity, right? Or well, you try I'll to come that. up with a word like that, you know? But um, I really don't know. They're just kind people, right? That, that they've, uh, for whatever reason, they like what we do and mm-hmm. wanted to be involved in some way to take us with them on tour or uh, to be have a friendship or, or whatever, you know? And um, yeah, I wouldn't want to presume, you know, what their intentions or their reasons were to be, you know, I'm just happy to have uh, opportunities. No 
I've long believed and talked about this idea that I think all music is essentially spiritual. It can it can be used for secular purposes. You know, you want to use music to sell a cheeseburger, you can, but but something about the essence of music is is spiritual and that I think that when we're honest in our music and when we're passionate, we're getting to that kind of spiritual place. And I think we can connect with people that way. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like your, uh, your music is, is the essence of that. Like it's one of the best examples I've ever seen of that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I, I suspect that that's at least part, I'm going to generalize. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen you play in bars full of people that, uh, you know, I'm sure some of them have, are church going people and some of them are not. <laughs> and they're not, that's not on the agenda. That's not part of their calculus as to why they're there mm. but they're having a an experience and it feels very sacred mm. um the the thing that's interesting and as uh, ever since the first notes i heard was just how up front there's there's lots of people that have some kind of you're so upfront about it um and that can sometimes be a turnoff and it just makes your music that much more compelling to everybody that's listening to mm. it i think it's you're just not shy about it it's just right there in the well you know i'm like i said i've I've been steeped in it since day one you know from and i never really had a time of of like not believing you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. oh i'm not i'm not gonna believe that anymore i'm gonna go do this or that you know and that is not to say at all that you know that's not a behavior i'm not talking about behavior right i'm just talking about you know people have doubts about this or doubts Mm -hmm. you know i've never had any doubt that um that every man, that every person is Christ. Never had any doubt about it, right? So it doesn't matter if the people have a pro- proclamation of something or if they don't have or whatever. To me, every person is the Lord. So I'm just, uh, that's how I look at it, you know? To the harpers, to the tomb of this fluttering soul. to also some kind of Native American of elements course, yeah. of things. And uh, is that part of your heritage? And it is, yeah. As well? I mean, it was part of my life quite a bit growing up and just in small towns all around Colorado, you know. Yeah. And there would be, you know, had Native people in the family and originating in Oklahoma. And uh, Was it Cherokee? Uh, Choctaw and Cherokee. Choctaw. And, 
it was always something that the family was talking about, right? Because everybody wants to be a part of it in some way, you know? Mm-hmm. But um, I just took a good 10 years and just uh, basically, I don't really take vacations or things like that. I just go to reservations, right? And just be there, just, mm-hmm. you know, not to, no agenda, just to be there. Uh, and to me, that's America, right? Um, mm-hmm. I take my son with me. We just camp out or whatever. And whether it's a powwow or whether it's just some other time of year, um, I've made friends there and I'm mostly in the Dakotas and some in Wyoming. But, um, you know, yeah, growing up, there would be like mission groups, you know, they're going to go up to Pine Ridge and make bunk beds for the kids or whatever, you know. And, or if you go there, you know, you've got a huge uh, LDS building next to a big Roman Catholic building next to a, <laughs> and, and there's nobody in any of them. As far as I know, there's nobody who goes, you know, they're just there. Yeah. You go to the powwow and there's like a, you know, a white family, you know, three generations. They've been living on their ministry, right, is toward the Native American people and they have teepees, you know, and all this stuff set up and there's nobody who won't talk to them, mm. right? And they're there every year and everyone just walks by them, right? But they're there handing out CDs of whatever. I don't know what they're hang- handing out, but... Um, I just never saw that as a way to communicate with people, you know, and when I see it, I feel as awkward as the people, (laughs) (laughs) it just feels awkward to me. I mean, I I understand the, it's their calling or whatever they want to call it. Right. But, um, I just look at it like this is America. These are American people, you know, and I want to learn what it's like to be an American. mentioned earlier about American music being essentially gospel and yes, sir. Native American music. Uh, you, you start talking about music being essentially spiritual and they're like, of course. I mean, there's, there's all of the music was connected to the spirit. Realm well, spirit, and, spiritual is a yeah. really subjective word. You know, sure, yeah. I mean, people, what's spiritual to one person is not at all to the next, you know, and it seems like in general, um, spirituality is, in my understanding, it's normally a way to, to, un- to try to understand or come to grips with something that is naturally true. Um, I mean, nature is magical, right? I mean, like the, the landscape and the atmosphere and all of this, it's just like magic, right? And Native American people are really uh, sensitive to these things, right? And I mean, believe me, you know, uh, like I said, I'm from a Nazarene background, and you know anybody that's quote unquote spiritual outside of that is a complete heathen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Complete heathen, straight to hell heathen, wow. right? Doesn't matter if it's spiritual or not, right? It's the bad kind of spiritual or whatever. But I think, I think really, um, you know, like things like science and mathematics and these things originally were spiritual, mm-hmm. just because they were 
something that were not yet grasped in a way um, that was concrete to people. And I think that's still the case that, you know, um, things that w would seem spiritual in nature are just, it's a, this, this term, the spirituality is just a, it's like nature drawing you to understand nature. I think the, you know, the Christian quote unquote attitude towards spirituality is, it doesn't have that in mind, right? It doesn't have learning anything really in mind. It has to do with affecting things, right? Changing things, changing behavior, changing uh, thought processes, th changing. That's what the spirituality is used for rather than to understand uh, things around you. You know what I mean? It's, it's more there to direct than to learn. Yeah, I'd say that that's definitely the, the modern reality. I don't know that... I think that there's a more ancient form of Christian thinking that used art and reflection and meditation to learn and discover and grow. Yeah, that's what I'm talking lost. about. Yeah. I'm talking about long yeah. ago, you know, when right. you know, people like Isaac Newton or somebody right. like yeah. that, you know what I mean? That things have a magical sense to them, and, but that magic is trying to communicate something concrete, you know, yeah. something solid that in reality of, of the creation, right, of nature. And um, like I say, the, uh, Christianity in general, I think it, they use spirituality as like a weapon, um, whereas like a Native American culture is just, you know, giving reverence to nature, you know, and the magic and letting nature be magic, right? Uh, it's, uh, you don't really find that in... I mean, yeah, you, you drive to the, the Grand Canyon and you're like, oh, how grand and glorious, you know, God's creation and all of this. But, um, you know, you're never going to spend any time with just a relationship with the land and the, the chemistry of it. You know what I mean? You've kind of put your stamp on it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to put into words. Like the scroll, we scratch and scream and all Do as we want to like the fall, we taste the shame and all We've never not, we've never not What is the end of your troubled mind? I've had conversations with some Native Americans who have said like, well, welcome to the party, you know, <laughs> we've been doing this for thousands of years. Exactly, that's Mr. what I was going to say. Hipster, it's, you know, um, so. Music is innate, right? And it's just another language, just like nature is a language. And yeah, you can't really control it, right? You can't really box it in. You just have to hopefully have a relationship with it in a, in a positive, open way. Yeah, it's difficult and... Uh, to live in a land where, you know, there's this idea of the church and then the, there's this idea of, you know, this manifest, this destiny of manifestation of, you know, so many decisions are made, so many uh, directions are taken out of this mindset that 
we're living in the last days, right? The founding of America, right, is part of this idea that we're living in the last days, you know, and so it it seems really uh, confused and like I say, so many different things are created and institutions and that are supposed to last long into the future and generational um, places of learning and all of this all of this stuff coming from a people who say that God's coming back tomorrow, right? So it's like uh, there's something there's something off here and it I think, you know, more often than not, it's just used as a sense of control and to overpower another people, overpower other ideas, and to direct people in a way that you want them to go for whatever reason. Yeah, I just try to step back from, from this attitude, you know. And in my opinion, the, the apocalypse is the person next to you is God. That's the apocalypse. That's, you know, that's the revealing and that you come to realize that and and this i you know and the real you know this whole idea of the revealing of the man of sin and all of this stuff that's you right you, you you realize that you know that that's you and what is that that's that's i mean i have a different idea of what sin would be if i than most people right to me sin is believing in sin that's mm. sin simple as that so so what's the answer to that then or what's the remedy believing is knowing and come to the understanding that your neighbor is god okay your neighbor is eternal your neighbor is uh righteous and holy right then you're gonna and perfect in the eyes of the lord and who is the lord you are you know if you don't see your brother as righteous and holy then yeah why would you treat people well (laughs) yeah right i mean then instead you know there's this idea of we're going to take this to the people right in my opinion, God is the people, and you're not taking anything that you're going to get from them, right? You're going to get God from these people. You're not going to give God to anybody. You're going to get God from people, right? People are always talking about the church, the church, the church, you know, in politics or, or wherever. And it's like, what church? What, what church are you talking about? Are you talking about the Baptists or are you talking about the Methodists? Are you talking about the Presbyterians or are you the Calvinists? Who? What church? Roman Catholic Church? You know, people just use the word like everyone knows what it is, but no one knows what it is, right? And everybody has a different opinion. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, I grew up in Nazarene. Everybody here is going to hell. <laughs> everybody. Yeah. Right? If, if, if you're not doing what is ascribed by the Nazarene hierarchy, you know, if, if you step into a Baptist church, you know, adios, you know. And people still feel that way, you know. Um, especially in the leadership positions of these uh, denominations or whatever you want to call them. And, you know, the world changes around them and they don't like it. And, of course, they have to, in some way, try to wrangle it, right? And, you know, the the youth are starting to get involved in things that they don't like. And, you know, I grew up, you know, no playing cards. You couldn't go to movies, right? Women couldn't wear pants, no makeup, you know, that type of thing. You know what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. Who cares? I mean, I just saw the other day, you know, this woman from Colorado talking, you know, it's like the church has got to inform the government, not the government, the church, you know. Oh, yeah, I saw that clip. And I was like, that was scary. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> right. You know, um, I mean, I think most Christians would be like, well, yeah, you know, they would kind of agree that, you know, that the church should be ruling the nation, right? It's a Christian nation, one nation under God, right? All of that. 
but of course no one agrees on what that means you know right from one church on the corner to the next church on the corner they have a different idea of what that means you know holy king cause my skin to crawl away from every evil thing in a cotton mouth in a cotton mouth quick across the water brain Your hands speak of a broken door handle Of thoughts and deeds A little bird sings A little bird sings Stars rise on the face of the water Quiet comes on the wing of a lark To me, the, when I say that the apocalyptic nature of your music has a good news essence to me, especially on this latest project, the good news behind the apocalypse, even the parts that are like, it's all gonna burn, it's because all this stuff isn't necessary. So the burning of it is actually good for you. Because once this burns, you're gonna see you didn't need it in the first place. And the good stuff is, you're blind to the good stuff until this stuff that's a lie is gone in your life. Mm. And I've loved throughout your career, your ability to, to sing about the monster in the face, the skull right here, so that we can eventually see that that monster is not real. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your attention to that stuff and your willingness to go there over and over again. Mm. You're on a, kind of an island, you're unique. I think it's been validated obviously by the people that have saluted you already. I just want to add my, my hat to that ring, but thank you for doing that. Yeah. And. Uh, how can people best keep up with you and what you're doing and support you and uh, keep you, um, keep wind in your sails? What's the best way for fans and friends to do that? Yeah, I don't. Uh, I do use, you know, Facebook and whatnot to communicate, you know. But, um, you know, I'm a nightmare for any record company or something like that. You know, it's <laughs> like they give me grief about posting Bible verses and, you know, it's like and, like no one wants to read Bible verses. and I do. I love reading Bible verses. But. Especially those scary ones. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know what else to do, you know. And yeah. so I'm just, I feel like I'm, my ministry in my, you know, that, I don't like that word, is for people who are held by religion, right? It, for people that are not religious, they don't really need what I have to say. To me, people that are religious are the ones that need to be freed from religion. <laughs> and it all comes back to my own self, right? It's not like I'm, my career is my uh, coming out of that, right? right. Of being uh, being made free by the by the spirit of freedom, right? To, by the uh, trying to unravel this uh, tight knot of fear-based. I think fear is kind of the main the main thing that people are dealing with. I think a lot of people are quite adept at hiding that fact but uh yeah i'm really not fearful and i think religion is you know it really feeds on this fear factor if you know what i mean and oh, yeah. 
uses it in all kinds of ways that I think are detrimental to, pe to people and communities and life. I don't think God's out to expose anybody, right? No. I don't think God is there to strip strip you of your, to stand, you know, naked and bare before. I don't think the Lord is really interested in anything like that. You know what I mean? I think he's there to cover you at all times. You know, similar to, you know, the passage in Ezekiel talking about the covering cherub. You know, you were the covering cherub. You were in the garden of God, walking amongst the stones of fire, right? And until iniquity was found within you and your multiplicity of trade and all of this, right? Talking about the king of Tyre. To me, that's religion. It's the king of Tyre, mm -hmm. you know, selling purple, selling this idea of royalty and of spirituality and of, um, and the idea that you need to be wrapped in this yeah. fabric right. when in reality you have no need to be covered, right? That you, the spirit of God is your cover. It is your covering and it's not going to, leave you and leave you naked before the world you know what I mean it's God's not into exposing anybody and in my opinion and right. he, he's always covering I've seen that taken in a really bad direction <laughs> right yeah yeah you know especially within the church and yeah. you oh, see it sure. in the Roman Catholic Church you also see it in the evangelical church right this idea of you know oh we're going to cover over this you know that's not what I'm talking about what are the fears? The fears of, oh, I'm not doing things well enough, right? I'm, I'm not doing th what I'm supposed to do. So I'm trying to, you know, be with the right people, do the right things, say the right prayer. Right. You know, be, uh, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. Yeah. Right. What is perfect love? Right? right? It's to know that everyone is perfect. Man, thank you. This is, this is amazing stuff. Really appreciate your time. Just really, really, really appreciate it. Everybody, David Eugene Edwards. Thank you so much, sir. And with that, we were done. Although I would have loved to have talked longer, we had a schedule to watch because of the festival. I'll tell you what, though. He sure gave me a lot to think about. Thanks, David, and thank you to the organizers of AudioFeed and the staff of David's label, Sergeant Records, and his management company for helping to facilitate this conversation. We're not done just yet, though. The jukebox has an idea or two about all this apocalyptic talk. We'll crank her up right after we take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Hey, this is Ray, and I'm a Patreon backer of the True Tunes podcast. I have also left a rating and review of the show at Apple Podcasts. It wasn't that hard. It didn't cost me anything. 
but this show means a lot to me and I know that reviews and ratings make a big difference when it comes to how and if others discover these conversations. Would you take a few minutes, maybe even while you're listening, but please not while you're driving, to leave a rating and review? Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, the reviews posted there push out to podcast platforms all around the world. Oh, and take some time to tell your friends about the show. Let's drive those numbers up together. Thanks. True Tunes is on the road. I've been to Indiana, California, Tennessee, Iowa, and Illinois so far, and we are currently looking at opportunities around the country. These conversations have been a lot of fun, with me bringing a turntable and some records and a guitar, and often finding artists or other special guests to join me. I've also done songwriting workshops, music business clinics, and even some conversations about how we can slow ourselves down and listen to music more carefully, more thoughtfully, and yes, more spiritually. So there's kind of something for everyone. You can follow all of the action at truetunes.com slash events. And if you would be interested in having me come speak in your neck of the woods, drop me a line at jjt at truetunes.com and let me know. I'm also excited to be aligning with the Porchlight Network for house shows. Porchlight is a growing network of house show venues around the country, and you can learn more at porchlight.art. So for house shows, look me up at Porchlight. For schools, venues, churches, or other opportunities, just connect with me directly. Hey there, I'm Mark Feldbush, and I'm a Patreon backer of the True Tunes podcast, and I follow and listen to the weekly Spotify gallery stage mixtape that John curates for us every week. I get to hear classic artists that I really dig and discover new artists. Every week, usually on Wednesdays, the mix is updated with around 40 songs from brand new releases to deep cuts and from across a wide range of genres including rock, Americana, indie, gospel, blues, sacred music, soul, and so much more. It's also great to hear a mix that blends great music that is just good, beautiful, and true without all of the genre and market limitations and boxes I hear everywhere else. You can find the mix on the front page at truetunes.com or on the show notes page for this episode. And if you follow it, It will live there in your Spotify browser and update automatically each week. And don't miss the massive archive list where all previous lists get saved. And as great as Spotify is for music discovery, please support the artists you love once you hear and discover them there. Thanks. Welcome back to the True Tunes podcast. All this talk of apocalyptic rock has the jukebox just itching to have her say. So, I have a couple of coins I took from a dead man's eyes. Let me drop them in the slot here and see what we get. Second seal, I saw, I saw the second 
the faraway towns Now war is declared and battle come down London calling to the underworld Come out of the cupboard, you boys and girls London calling, now don't look to us Phony Beatlemania has bitten the dust London calling, see we ain't got no swing Except for the rain and the crunch of Now, this might not be exactly what some think of as apocalyptic art, but when we use the term literally, and we think about something being revealed, and not just winged beasts and firestorms being prophesied, I think you might see why The Clash's 1979 hit London Calling is my kind of apocalyptic punk pop. The ice is coming, the sun's zooming in, engines stuck on it, the wheat is going through, a nuclear error. But I have no fear, cause London is drowning out. Although, as should be the case with all great music, there is certainly room to debate the meaning of the song's particular references. Joe Strummer seems to have been reacting to a spate of late 70s bad news stories, from Cold War-era geopolitical fears to worries about flooding on the Thames River. Pop and disco music seemed to mostly want to provide an escape from the worries of the day, and the punk scene took a more aggressive, if similarly escapist approach. But with this song, The Clash, referencing the old British Broadcasting World Service that would transmit radio signals into occupied territories during World War II by saying, This is London calling in the overseas service of the British Broadcasting Corporation. Seemed to be acting as heralds, forcing people to confront the existential threats on all fronts. Now get this! London calling, yes, I was there too. And you know what they said? Well, some of it was true. London calling at the top of the dial. And after all this, won't you give me a smile? The opening song of Muse's 2003 album, Absolution, offers an explosive proclamation that the end is here and we need something biblical to pull us through. As with many apocalyptic epics, the concept works whether applied existentially, literally on a global scale, or on a personal, relational level. Once we accept that we have reached the end of a thing, that we accept the urgency of that moment, and we seek and accept the miracle of rebirth, the world we enter next will be a new one for sure. There was thunder, there was lightning, and then the stars went out. And the moon fell from the sky It rained mackerel, it rained trout And a great day of wrath has come And 
of this song might actually mean, but man is it cool. Tom Waits' bizarre nightmare tune from his 1992 masterpiece Bone Machine contains biblical allusions aplenty, but lays them out in cryptic fashion. The assembled imagery conjures a picture of complete disaster, with the singer at the center of the maelstrom dreaming of you, whoever you is. Whether the song is pulling back the veil of coolness and control that we tend to put on as we navigate a relationship, when what we are really experiencing is a complete psychological breakdown, or if this is about the gradual decay and dismantling of everything that is not love, it's cool. And true, either way. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw. And behold, a white horse. I guess it doesn't get much more apocalyptic than starting your song with the man in black reading Revelation 6, 1 and 2, where John the Revelator describes seeing the Lamb open the first of the seven seals and one of the four living creatures introduce the white horse. And I guess you have to be Johnny Cash with that kind of gravitas to earn the right to write a song that proclaims as unapologetically that the man, Jesus, will come around to judge everyone. There's a man going around taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden letter reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm will stand up at the terror in each sip and in each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup or disappear into the potter's ground? And this song has been used in a ton of television shows and films, too. It's an incredible tune, actually one of only three that Cash wrote on the American Four album produced by Rick Rubin. It's also worth noticing how many scripture references and theological off-ramps Cash manages to cram into this masterwork. There's not a wasted word, either. For every terror-inducing reference to Hellfire and Brimstone, there's a nod to God's redemption. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and Hell followed with him. It may be my favorite It's All Gonna Burn song of all time. Personal apocalypse In a land where 
such is not allowed To all the rappers in these reds Break down and give the good things up Everything is alright What will be will be, babe Everything is alright When it's only There's another kind of apocalypse rock to consider, of course, and Mark Hurd gives us a brilliant example with Everything is Alright, a lightly melancholy, soberly encouraging revelation that behind the veil of anxiety, panic, depression, or despair, all might not be sunshine and rainbows, but love is there and we are not alone. This song came to me at a particularly hard time. As I was transitioning from being a brash teenager, burying my fears and anxieties and the traumas of my childhood in shallow, faith-fueled truisms, into a young adult choosing to engage reality as it was. I was hearing from my friends, some of them songwriters, that love was strong enough to handle the darkness, but I was going to need to work on the honesty part. This was part of my personal apocalypse. As a songwriter, I have long gravitated towards this kind of writing too. Not that I place it on anywhere near the same level as Mark Hurd, but as I went back and considered these apocalyptic musical themes, it occurred to me how often they made their way into my own writing. My band, The Wayside, did a whole album called Farm in 1999 that could have been seen as apocalyptic in many ways as well. One of those songs, a sort of psychedelic folk rock tune called So Long, featured dueling lap steel parts by Phil Madeira and Kenny Hudson, and it was my attempt at crafting a sort of impressionistic apocalypse.
Bruce brought up this one, and I hope you heard our exploration of Midnight Oil's amazing career a few episodes ago when we pulled out the jukebox during our conversation with the rapper Propaganda, an apocalyptic poet in his own right. Their song Dreamworld is a fantastic example of the kind of apocalyptic art that seeks to open our eyes to the reality of suffering and corruption that is happening right now, not in some distant future, all around us, as we turn a blind eye. The song rocks like a relentless prophetic alarm clock trying to blast us from our slumber. Please God, don't show anyone All the idiot things that I've done When my son gets to hell Will he be shown the end Although it's too soon to tell if this one will stand the test of time, there's a track on Jack White's Entering Heaven Alive LP that is almost anti-apocalyptic as it begs God not to reveal some things. In a litany of confession, the singer lays out a lifetime of regret and remorse, recognizing the Almighty's authority to reveal his secrets, but hoping he won't. I've proven myself to no one Will the things I did well Even save me from hell I can't even recall All the sins I can't tell Will a thousand good deeds Be erased then by just one bad one Oh baby, what have I done? There are so many more. I have built a special Apocalypse Rocks playlist that I will link to from the show notes page for this episode. It's got songs from the Rolling Stones, R.E.M., Larry Norman, The Postal Service, Alice Cooper, Stephen Stills, Ultravox, Metallica, LSU, Daniel Amos, Woven Hand, of course, and many more. And if you have a suggestion, tweet it to me, at John J. Thompson, and I just might add it to the soundtrack for the revealing of all things. Haha, world. There seems to be a bad moon rising over the jukebox. Everything's going helter-skelter, and even though we're dancing with tears in our eyes, maybe we better seek shelter before we reach the end of the playlist as we know it. The levee breaks, and we have to conduct some kind of electric funeral over here. We'll pull the plug for now, and if it all comes true, she'll be ready to rock again on the next episode for you. As I pull out my soapbox to wrap this up, 
I want to finish on this theme of apocalypse and some of the provocative ideas David brought up during our conversation at AudioFeed. And it does really start and end with the true meaning of that word, apocalypse, and what the role of artists are in our lives and communities. Again, that word apocalypse in English sounds pretty close to the Greek word apocalyptine, which literally means to take the cover off or to take the lid off. You know the cliche, we're going to blow the lid off this story. What was secret is going to be revealed, and this revelation is the apocalypse. Now, lots of things can be revealed in this way. Maybe a songwriter composes a ballad about the emperor having no clothes, revealing something that everyone knows but is afraid to admit out loud. Maybe a poet composes an apocalypse about the dark, murderous thoughts that live inside the human heart. Through confession or observation, those frightening things are revealed, and it makes people uncomfortable because we'd rather not face that kind of evil. Some artists craft apocalypses about the effects of poverty and injustice, songs, paintings, films, that reveal realities faced by many people, but maybe not me. Some artists might craft revelations about how religion or politics or social constructs are being used to objectify, dehumanize, or abuse entire groups of people. Apocalypse. And some might dare to imagine what life and love and reality will be like if and when Jesus actually does come back and set things right. What if he was serious about what he said? What if he meant that stuff about camels and needles and the ones who inherit the earth? For some, these kinds of apocalypses are good news indeed. For others, not so much. Now, to the question of the role of artists in all of this, and frankly, our role as listeners and as supporters of the arts. Are we looking for art and artists who tell us what we want to hear? Do we insist on agreeing with every doctrinal or dogmatic point? Or is there value in engaging, experiencing, seeking, and discerning? I think there is. When I read about John's revelation, I see the work of an artist, and I see an example of someone unafraid to cause trouble, provoke disagreement, and leave some questions unanswered. Now, sure, you might dismiss that as being inspired by God, but that misses my point. Take Tolkien, then, or Keith Green, both of whom I would likely have had theological disagreements with, but both of whom provoked some powerful, apocalyptic, imaginative thought. I so appreciate David Eugene Edwards sitting with me, subjecting himself to a conversation that would have probably been much more comfortable if there was no recorder running and no audience, and yet still being willing to push, provoke, and suggest some ideas that don't land in nice, tidy places. I don't need to agree with everything he says in order to value it, to appreciate it, and to hold it as worth my consideration. In fact, in the days since our conversation, I've been thinking a lot about several of the more provocative ideas he offered, and I found them to be far less shocking than some might think. Like he said, religion is a murder ballad, and every day is an apocalypse. In Colossians 1.27, Paul drops this little apocalyptic bomb. He says, To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And notice that he says God chose to make this known, a revelation among the Gentiles, this mystery. The revelation of a mystery, that Christ is in you, and that is the hope of glory. A couple of chapters later, chapter 3, verse 11, Paul insists that there are no distinctions any longer, not between Gentile or Jew, slave or free, circumcised or not, because Christ is all and is in all. 
And remember, when Jesus told his followers that when they ministered to the prisoners, the widows, and those in need, he didn't specify that it was only when those needy ones were believers that they were ministering to Christ. Nope. He said, whenever you did these things to the least of these, you did them to me. That's a revelation. That's an apocalypse for a number of reasons, not least of which is that I spend a lot of energy and resources in my life trying not to be poor, sick, lame, and so on. Anyway, this is just how Edward's words have been causing me to think and react. I don't want to put words in his mouth or suggest that these are the things he meant because I appreciate being provoked by his work. I don't need him to explain or justify every little detail. I don't feel perfect, as he said, but if Christ is in me and Christ is perfect, then I suppose that mystery is a bit bigger than my need to understand it, and I should be okay with some confusion. It seems Jesus' disciples spent much of their time in that same state. Art, decoration, propaganda. The deeper we get into these conversations and ideas, the more interesting and multidimensional these ideas get. Apocalypse ain't for the faint of heart. Okay, I'm climbing off my soapbox now. going to do it for this episode of the True Tunes podcast. Again, thanks so much to David Eugene Edwards for his time and engagement, to his management and the folks at Sargent Records and to the staff at Audio Feed Festival. The new Woven Hannah album, Silver Sash, is an exquisite piece of work that is definitely worth owning. And if you have a chance to see his music performed live, do not miss it. Whether it's with a band or Edwards delivering what is one of the most compelling and enveloping solo performances I have ever seen, Woven Hand is powerful. Silver Sash is certainly going to be on my short list of the best albums of 2022. Please be sure to do all this stuff. Sign up on our email list, check out our merchandise, join the Patreon tribe if you are able, follow and listen to our weekly mix on Spotify. Of course, you can find a complete list of all of the music on this episode and more on the show notes page at truetunes.com. And please reach out if you'd be interested in having me come to your neck of the woods to speak or maybe to record an episode like this one in front of a live audience. Also, if you're new to the show, or even relatively new, we have gone way back into the archives and spruced up some of the earliest episodes a bit. They still may be a bit dated here and there, and we definitely hit our stride over time, but it's fun to go back and hear us experimenting during that first year or so. If you've never heard those shows, check them out. As always, thanks to Phil Keggy and Rex Paul for the podcast theme, their instrumental remix of Full Circle. Please join Phil's Patreon gang and visit his Bandcamp page where you will find tons of rare studio and live recordings by Phil and his various bands, as well as digital reissues of many classic Keggy albums. This podcast was written and produced by me, JJT, with co-production, editing, and sound design by Bruce A. Brown for Gyroscope Productions. The contents of this program are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. Thoughts and opinions of our guests do not represent the positions of the producers or our sponsors. Discernment is recommended. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at JJT at TrueTunes.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee, 37206. Until next time, this is JJT reminding you to stay tuned and stay true. Peace. Peace.